are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. We continue in our series uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Yesterday, my boys, uh, their cross-country team ran for the state championship and woohoo, won. Haverson Patriots, baby, state champion cross-country. Um, and Tripp brought home, uh, we got him off the van and, and he had the trophy. He's got the trophy with him. I'm like, well, we get the trophy at our house. Well, we get the trophy. We're just holding it. It's not ours or anything, you know. But, but there's, there's something about winning and winners that we're drawn to, right? I mean, you, you go to a race. I love watching my boys run because I was a runner. And so being there at that first mile, I'm like, woo, run, yeah, run hard. And, and then I, I trot with my coffee, you know, 15 yards to the finish line and I get to watch them suffer and cheer them on as they go. But when that first person comes across the finish line, is there something impressive about that guy, that girl, you know, running a 1640 and you're like, wow, that's, that's moving, right? That's flying. Or even like when we stand and we watch the Olympics, love the Olympics, when, you know, they, we, they put the, the winners on the pedestals and you get the bronze medal and you get the silver, but what are we really waiting for? That gold. And we put that ribbon around that gold medal winner and we play their national anthem and we stand and we're like, woo, it's something impressive about that. They do not play the national anthem for that brother who came in dead last. As hard as he worked, as, as much as he fast as he ran, he does not get to sit on the podium. We don't play his song for him. Like, oh, we feel bad. Let's just play his national anthem, right? Because we celebrate first. We love first. And look, I'm there. Like, grew up, I'm, I'm not a millennial. I'm not a Gen Y or whatever. I, I grew up with the rules of Top Gun. There are no points for second place, Mav, right? Okay, second place is the first loser. So I get it, right? Uh, I want to win, because we don't celebrate last. But do you know who does? Jesus does. Jesus celebrates last. In fact, last week he, he made the statement, and we're gonna unpack it more this week. He closes out chapter 19. Many are firsts will be last. And the last first. Jesus says it's good to be last. It's better to be last what does that mean? How, can, how do we celebrate lastness? How can we pursue lastness? Why is that important? That's what we're gonna talk about this morning as we look at chapter 20. And we're gonna cover verses one through 16 uh, and, and see this parable Jesus is gonna teach us and his disciples. And let me just say this up front, okay? Because some of you are like, some of your high school students are like, see, mom, I cannot study and get last in my class and Jesus is impressed. That's not what we're saying, Okay, we're not saying don't try, don't do well. We do all things for God's glory and with excellence. And so if you're thinking, oh, great, I can do nothing and be able to get my horrible performance review and that means good. This actually has nothing to do with performance. That's the key. It actually has nothing to do with performance and has everything to do with your heart. That there is a heart attitude that desires first, it says, Jesus says, that's last. And that desires last, it says, that's what I'm talking about, right? And, and this whole parable builds on what happened last week, right? The last verse of verse 19 says, many who are first will be last. And we come to chapter 20, I know sometimes we see, oh, it's a new chapter, it's a new idea. Remember, chapter divisions and verses were added thousand years later. 
Moses wasn't writing the law, verse one. You know, Matthew wasn't like verse two. That's so we can find ourselves in, in the, uh, where we're at. The, the chapter divisions are artificial. The first word of chapter 20 is four. And it's picking up at the end of chapter 19. It's the same thought. So what happened previous is key to us today. And remember what happened previous. This rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? You know what's good, do the commandments. He says, I've done them all. Have you now? All right. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And Jesus tells him that, not because he wants his stuff, but because he wants to expose the fact that he really hasn't because the commandment number one is have no other gods before me and your stuff and your prestige and your power are your God. So get rid of those and come and follow me. And he can't do it. He can't do it. And Jesus says, hey, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go in the eye of the needle. Who can be saved with God? All things are possible. And then Peter speaking, because Peter feels like he has to speak, says what? Well, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get? What do we get, Jesus, for leaving and following? What do we get? And that, this parable is, is a response to really Peter because Peter is thinking, we should get a lot because we are in first. We're first. What do we get, Jesus? And so he's gonna say, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What do we get? What's in it for us? Attitude. Remember, this is, we're, we're coming to the end of Jesus's life here. We got next week start, or not next week, two weeks from now when we start chapter 21, we're in the Passion Week that's the last week of Jesus' life. And so at this last time with these disciples, Jesus really pushing in and doubling down on some of these things. And one of the lessons that the disciples seem to struggle with is this, what do we get? We wanna be first mentality. And so he's gonna tell this parable uh, to, to help get them to where they need to be. And so if, you're, if you have a copy of God's word, it, maybe in yours it has these little editorial notes. It says, the laborers in the vineyard. Does yours say that? Mine says, laborers in the vineyard right there, right? And it's a little bit deceiving. That's, that is, that's accurate, but it's not really true. This is actually not a parable about laborers in the vineyard. It's about something, someone greater. And that's what we're gonna see that's gonna be key to us having a, an attitude of lastness so that we end up first. So let me read the entirety of our text and then we'll come back and unpack it. Verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I'll give you. And so they went, going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when he, those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? 
or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So it's not a challenging parable to understand, right? Although Jesus gives no explanation like he does in other places, uh, but it's a pretty simple parable uh, to get, right? So he starts out the kingdom, the rule of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven is like, here's your metaphor, a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. So you have a landowner, uh, a master who owns a vineyard. And in that day, you didn't necessarily just have like employees and stuff. You would go to the, the labor pool, the place where people are looking for work would be early in the morning. And you would go and you'd say, okay, you wanna work, you wanna work, and you wanna work. And you would hire those folks to come work in your vineyard. So Jesus does that. Or the master does that, right? And he agrees with the laborers for a denarius a day. There is a contract written up. You want to work? Yes. Okay, I will pay you one denarius for one day's labor, which was the common going rate in that day. A denarius was a single coin, a Roman coin. Uh, there's really no modern equivalent per se. If you go by the Department of Labor Statistics, they say the average salary in America is like 51000 and change, which comes out to about $200 a day. So let's just say for simple math so that we understand that he goes out and he hires these guys for $200 for a day's work. I will pay you $200 for you to work for me today in my vineyard. Do you agree? They say, yes, we agree. Great, get to work. Then going up about the third hour. Now this is three hours later. The workday started at six. So six plus three is what time? You guys are brilliant. Must be your extra sleep. The 9.30 service is like, oh, I don't know, all right? So you guys are great. Uh, so they go out, he goes out at nine and there's some folks that aren't working. They're standing there and he says, you guys wanna work? They're like, we wanna work. He says, all right, you go in the vineyard too. But notice now the difference. Before we had a contract driven up, we agree for a denarius. Here, he just says, hey, you go, I'll pay you what's right at the end of the day, right? You trust me? We trust you. All right, good, you go. So they go. And going out again at the six hours, six o'clock a.m. plus six hours is what time? Noon, right? So he goes out at noon. And then he does it at the, six, at the ninth hour. That's at 3 p.m. He does the same. And then he goes out at the 11th hour. Okay, we're talking 5 p.m., right? One hour left in the workday. The workday ends at 6. 5 p.m. He goes, why y'all standing around? Idle all day. And they said, no one's hired us. He said, y'all go too. But there's only like sweeping left and cleaning up. There's nothing left. Go, get in the field, go. Get out there and I'll pay you what's right. And so they go. And then the horn blows, end of the day. I used to work at a steel mill. I mean, you could be mid-work and that thing goes off, you're done. You're leaving it, I don't care, you're out, right? That's what happens. 6 p.m., the horn rings, everyone's done. Evening comes, the owner of the vineyard says to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages. Start with the five o'clock crew. Those who got there late, pay them first and then work your way back to the 6 a.m. crew, all right? And so when those hired the 11 hour came, each of them received a denarius. Y'all, that's 200 bucks for an hour. That's like attorney, that's attorney fees, man. That's good money. If you're a five o'clock dude, you're like, man, I, all I did was like sweep one time. I got 200 bucks. This is the greatest job I've ever had. I woke up late, watched me some prices Right, some you know, general hospital, went to work, got paid of day's labor. This is awesome, right? They're thinking, this is, this is a great deal. And everyone's seeing it, y'all. This is, this is done in public, in front of everybody. So everyone's watching. And so everybody who's came a little earlier, the three o'clock crowd, the noon crowd, the 9 a.m. crowd, they're thinking, if they got 200 bucks, we should have been three. We should get at least 400 bucks, right? 
All right, maybe he'll give us four. The noon crowd's like, man, maybe you get four. We're going to get 800. The 9 a.m. and the 6 a.m. is like, man, if they got 200, we're going to get like 1,000, 1,200, 1,500, $1,600. What a day. Woohoo. We're going to Kmart afterwards. We're going out. We're going to splurge. We're going to want to eat. Golden Corral. Let's go. All right? That's what they're thinking. And so those who were hired first, when they came, it's their time to get their paycheck. They thought they would receive more. But each one of them also got what? Here's your $200. Now, how would you respond? I know how you respond because you're Americans, okay? What are you saying? It's not, that's exactly right. Good Americans. It's not fair. And on receiving it, they grumbled. The Greek word, it sounds like grumble. Guguzo. They guguzoed. They complained. They grumbled. These guys just showed up one hour. That guy, I, I watched that dude. He picked up one leaf, one leaf that guy got. I've been sweating all day. I'm in my, like, my fourth shirt. My back hurts. I'm tired. 12-hour day. And you made them equal to us in the heat? They came out when the sun was down, right? And what's the response of the owner? He replied to them, to one of them, friend, love is gentleness. I am doing you no wrong. I'm not wronging you. What did you agree for? What was, what was the agreement this morning? Uh, one denarius for a day. What did I pay you? Uh, one denarius for a day. So what's the problem? Take what belongs to you. You've earned it. Take it. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose to do with what belongs to me? What's the answer? Yes, you are. Do you begrudge my generosity? Yes, I do. So the last will be first. And the first will be last. Those who came last, that happened. They got paid first. You say, well, they got the same money. Well, don't press the parable too far. This is not a math problem. But what Jesus is reminding and teaching the disciples is that the kingdom is different than the American economy. They don't, they're not on the same value system, right? That, that's an important piece. It's not a first come, first serve basis. It's not based on seniority. It's not based on uh, how much you do. There's no cutoff date. Uh, there's a rolling admissions here. And in the kingdom, unlike the world, we celebrate last place, the lastness, the attitude of the lastness. So what do we do with a parable like this? So you're, not, you're obviously not gonna run your business like this because you go broke. So what do we do? Because um, Jesus doesn't really tell us what it's about. Here, here's, here, when we come to scripture, I know we often wanna jump to, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? We always go to application, which is good. We should apply the scripture, right? We wanna be doers of the word, not hearers who delude ourselves. But often we get into trouble when we jump right to what do I do? And we miss the main idea of this parable, which really isn't about you, right? The first question before we get to what I should do in your quiet times and in your study is not what should I do, is what does this passage teach me about God? See, we start with God because if we start with us, we have a tendency to be what? First place minded. And then we'll be fulfilling the very thing he says, the first will be last. So where do we start? We start with the one it's about. Who's it about? It's about the owner. It's about the master who clearly pictures God here, right? It clearly pictures God. Let me highlight three things about God from this text that we need to remind ourselves of before we move on to what about me? And the first is this, is that God is sovereign over it all, right? Whose vineyard is it? 
the masters, right? Just like whose kingdom is it? God's. Who planted the vineyard in the first place? The owner did. Who chose the location he was gonna put it? The owner. Who cleared the land and got it ready for a vineyard before the workers were even called? The owner. You get the idea that there's a lot of work that went into this vineyard before the workers were even called. Who did it? The owner did, right? Who decided what we're gonna plant in the vineyard? What kind of grapes, what kind of fruit, what kind of, he did, right? Whose fruit is it, does it belong to that grows in the vineyard? It's his. Whose money from the proceeds of selling the fruit is it? Uh, it's his. Who decides when the workday begins, when the workday ends? He does. Who's the one who invites, who calls people to work in his vineyard? He does. Who decides what he's gonna pay the workers who are working in his vineyard? He does. Who provides the tools for the work that's taking place in his vineyard? He does. It is his vineyard. He is sovereign over the vineyard. He is the owner. He is God. And, and, and this is a simple lesson, but I think it's one to be reminded that we need to be reminded that there is a God and you are not him. He is a great and mighty and powerful God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right, that's what the psalmist says. And then the second half of that verse says, the world and those who dwell in it. Do you dwell in it? Yes, you do. So you are his and it's all his. And God's kingdom does not have an HR department. I have a complaint. He's not asking. He's God. It's all his. He is sovereign. He is king. It's all his and he's, and this is important for us to start here because sometimes we're like, well, I don't know if I like that. I, don't, I come to the Bible and I don't agree with it. He's not asking if you agree. He's really not. Your opinion is not that important to the sovereign owner, king of the universe. Now, does he love you? Yes. He's not asking what you think. He's telling you what is. He says, this is my vineyard. This is my deal. But he's not some cruel, harsh, mean, despot boss. He's not only sovereign, he is what? gracious. He's inviting people into his kingdom. He's inviting people into his vineyard, isn't he? He goes at 6 a.m. And, and understand this. Here's how gracious he is. The 6 a.m. crowd is the crowd you want working in your field, right? Because they're there early. They're probably, if you're, if you're going to the, to the labor pool and you got some manual labor, what are you, you going to look for the little scrawny dude that weighs like 63 pounds soaking wet? No, you're looking for the big guy. I want you. I want you. I want you. He's picking the cream of the crop. This is, this is the first round draft pick, guys. This is when you're in elementary school in recess. You know, there's those three or four guys that go first. There's three or four gals that go first. And some of you, that one you, you were like the last person and, and you just ended up on a team because there was an odd man. It's like, oh, okay, you're on Jack's team, right? He, that's the five o'clock crew. That's the noon crew. These are the people that didn't get picked earlier. Why didn't they get picked? Because they probably weren't that great. <laughs> they weren't that gifted. They don't look that strong. They're not, you know, that guy, I don't know if he can do any work. He barely walks 10 feet without having to sit down. How's he gonna do anything? But yet God says, hey, you wanna work? Come on. You wanna be in here? Come on. He is gracious, right? To the rejected, to the hopeless, to those who wanna be part of something but aren't, right? He invites because he is gracious. Not only is he sovereign and gracious, but he's good and he's generous and he's just. I mean, how good to these guys who worked one hour, he lavishes them with $200. He didn't earn $200. He didn't earn that. That was a gift. 
right? You have a gift. And even the ones who came early and did a lot more work, he's good and he's just. He does exactly what he says he's going to do because he is good. He is gracious. Because in the kingdom, it doesn't matter when you showed up, it matters that you did show up. In the kingdom, it doesn't matter how long you've been there, it's that you are there. In the kingdom, it's not how much work you've done, it's the fact that you are in the vineyard in the first place. In the vineyard of the sovereign and good and gracious king. And we have to start there. Because otherwise, we're going to be like, what about me? 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 Right? Like Peter. We start, no, no, no. We start with God. He's sovereign. It's his. We start with God. He is gracious and kind because he moves towards me. He's good and just and I can trust him. That's who he is. That's going to help us cultivate this attitude of lastness that we need to. And, and what I want to do to do this is, is to really ask the questions of us that, that the owner asks these guys. He asks three questions. Whenever you see questions in the scripture, you should kind of make a little underline there. It's a significant thing. The owner asks these folks three questions and I think it'll reveal what's in our heart. Are we cultivating lastness or firstness? Look at the first question in verses 12 and 13. So they're complaining. They worked one hour. You made them equal to us. We were in the hot sun, yada, yada, yada. What are they saying? It's not fair. It's not fair, right? How often we heard that? How often we say that? Look over our shoulder. Not fair. That ain't fair. Right, kids. Huh? Why'd they get two bowls of Fruit Loops? I only got one and a half bowl of Fruit Loops. Uh-huh, it's not fair. Right? You've done this. You go into like, like the church potluck or the community group. And you, you know, you were like, man, I'm gonna make this my favorite dip and I'm gonna make my favorite chili. I'm gonna bring a salad. I'm gonna bring all these things. You bring a five course meal, spend four hours making it. It's just you and your spouse because your kids are gone. And you're like, man, this is gonna be great for people. And then there's that family that has like 13 kids. And all they do is they go to Kroger and get the cookies that's on sale for $2.99. They throw that box on the thing. And then their kids are eating all that food that you spent hours making. And you're thinking, that's not fair. They should have a cookie a piece at best. That's what they brought. They get what they bring. You bring cookie, eat a cookie. It's not fair. It's not just, right? This is where we live. And it is the attitude of firstness that'll get us last. It's where Peter is. Peter's gonna wrestle with this for a while. He's wrestling with it now. In a couple of weeks after this, this passage, Jesus is gonna be resurrected. He's been restored to ministry. He said his sorries to Jesus for denying him. And Jesus says, by the way, a few years from now, you're gonna die. And here's how it's gonna happen. And he's like, he looks over at John. He's like, well, what about John? What's gonna happen to John? Tell me about John. How's he gonna die? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about his death, not my death. And Jesus is like, that's none of your business. You follow me. It's not fair, right? I should get that. You live by what is fair. You will be pursuing firstness, which will end up being lastness. Because all that's gonna happen is what happened here. You think you're gonna have false expectations on what is fair and what is not. Is this whole deal, this is false expectations, right? What do they say? We thought we were gonna get more. Well, whose fault is that? That's your fault for thinking that. Because you thought it was all about fairness. Remember what mom told you the first time you ever said it's not fair? Life's not fair. Mom was right. Right? And if you have this expectation everything's gotta be fair, you're gonna have false expectations. You're gonna be greatly disappointed like they are. And, and what does God, the owner, say? The same thing he says to us, to you, when you're saying it's not fair. Really? Do you know what fair is? Fair is your tail sitting back at the labor pool, watching pressure luck, 
jobless, homeless, foodless. That's what's fair. What I've done is perfectly, absolutely just. In fact, I've kept my word to the T, have I not? What did I, what did I promise you? What did I say? Did I not agree for a denarius? You did. Did I not give you a denarius? You did. So how am I not fair? I've actually done everything I've said. I have kept my word exactly. I have kept my promise, right? And here's how we cultivate lastness in our hearts, in our lives. We need to remind ourselves constantly, has God been faithful to me? Yes. Where? Has God been true to his word in your life? Yes or no? Yes. Because it's possible for him to lie, right? Has he ever, has God ever once not kept his promise to you? Has he ever left you or forsaken you? He has not. Has he ever, when you confessed your sin, when you repented of sin, said, yeah, not this time, Fowler. That's too many times in one week. Maybe next week. No. He has always been faithful and just to forgive us. Has he ever, when you cried out to him in prayer, not answered you? Not, I didn't say give you what you want. Has he ever said, uh, I, I, I'm not gonna listen right now. I'm too busy talking to Gabriel over here. Can you, can you come back in three hours? No, he'll answer yes, he'll answer no, he'll answer maybe sometimes later, but he always answers. Have you ever asked for wisdom and faith like James tells us and not been given wisdom? No, no. Have you ever been in a situation where the temptation was, was greater than you had the ability and the escape from by the Holy Spirit? You may have thought it was, but he says, there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but such as coming, man, I am faithful. I will provide a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. And often we see the way of escape. We're like, oh, that was my way of escape. But he always provides it, right? Always. Has there ever been a time where he has not taken even the hard things of life, the trials, the tribulations, the suffering, and worked it for good for those who love him? I mean, think about it. Look back in your life and the trials of your life. Where did you grow the most? It wasn't your trip to Disney, right? That's where you went broke, but that's not where you grew. You grew in that trial. Why? Because God works all things together for good for those who love him, because that's what he does. He's been faithful to his word, right? And a, and a, and a heart of lastness seeks to say, what undeserved blessings has God given me? What we need, if we're gonna be last, is a longer memory. That's what we need. Not just last week, not just what happened last month. We need to look back over the course of our life and look at the, the, just the times when God has been faithful and not be like the Israelites. I mean, they come through 10 plagues and they go through the Red Sea and they're out in the desert. They get a little thirsty. You're like, we want to go back. We have salad. We want salad again. What in the world? But that's us. You want to have an attitude of, of lastness? Look back and just be grateful for the faithfulness where God has kept his word and remember those things. Here I raise my Ebenezer. We sang it. Ebenezer is a monument that points to what God has done. You need to be marking these Ebenezers in your life. So you go back and remember when you feel like, oh, I can say, no, God has been faithful, right? God has been faithful. And stop seeing things through the lens of what's fair? What is fair? What is fair? And see it through the lens of grace. Because who were you? You were nothing. Standing at the labor pool, desperate. He says, I chose you. I called you. I've been faithful to you. I've done exactly what I said.
and he always will be. That's how we start being last, not first. That's the first thing. Stop comparing, stop, it's not fair, thinking of terms of fairness and thinking of terms of faithfulness. Let's look at the next question Jesus asks. It says, take what belongs to you and go. You wanna talk about, this is yours, it's yours, it's your rights. Take, your, take what you've earned, right? It's right for you to get paid this. And speaking of rights, don't I have the right to do with mine what I want, right? Don't I have that right, right, to do with what is mine, whatever I want? You're complaining about rights. We love us some rights in America now. We got the Bill of Rights. We got amendments that we cling to. And I think it's great. We live in a country that's great to live in, but we are all about our rights. And what, what they're saying is, ultimately, you owe us. It's my right to get paid more. I deserve. See, these are the words of people who want to be first and will end up last. I deserve. You owe me. Right? And we would never verbalize that. We wouldn't say it out loud. But that's what we think. That's what we think. I I deserve better than this. Look how faithful I've been. I've been here since 6 a.m., me and my wife, we dated, right? we, we were pure. We did everything, the premarital counseling. We did everything we were supposed to do and we get married. And now we, we're having a hard time having kids. And that couple over there got pregnant before marriage. We deserve better, God. I deserve it. I've been serving in the church for 30 years, tithing, and I get cancer? I never smoked a cigarette my whole life. Right, I, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it, right? That, I mean, our kids, you know, we prayed for our kids and we tried to disciple our kids and we put them to Jesus and we took them to youth and we did all these things and then, you know, this one's out here and this one's not following the Lord and they, that guy, they did nothing. And their kid's a missionary to India? Are you kidding me? It's not fair, I don't deserve this, right? That's where we live. God, you owe me. Let me, let me just remind you of this very simple truth. God is indebted to no one because the vineyard is his. And probably the last thing you ever wanna ask God for is to give you what you deserve. God, give me what I deserve. Because if you're gonna do that, let me know because I'm gonna stand back. Because the only thing you deserve is wrath. Is wrath because you are a rebel against the God of the universe, right? But yet he has made you what? His son, his daughter. He has invited you into what he is doing, right? He is the potter. You are the clay. And sometimes what the potter says to the clay is, hush. And the beauty of the kingdom is this, that it's not about your labor, Thank the Lord, y'all. It's not about your labor and how hard you worked. Aren't you glad? Because some of you, I know some of you are like, well, no, because I'm a hard worker. Others, you're like, praise God. I wasted the first 30 years of my life pursuing this. Thank God I'm here, not in light of my work, but on his. He's the one who initiated. He's the one, whether you knew it or not, he's the one who chose you. You want to work? Uh, who moved first? He did. You weren't holding the sign, we'll work for food. And he's like, oh, there's a guy that really wants to work. No, he came to you. He chose you. He said, you want to work? Nine o'clock guy, 12 o'clock guy, three o'clock guy, five o'clock guy, right? 
And, it, and the beauty of the kingdom also, it's not longer, it doesn't matter how long you've been here. And not how much you've done. It's the fact that you're there. God is so generous. He has been faithful and gracious to me, even if I'm the last one. And, and this is a significant idea for the original audience. Remember, the original audience is the nation of Israel. This is the only gospel written specifically to the Jews. And this parable, interestingly, is not in the other gospels. It's in the one that's written to the Jews. Here's why. Because who's gonna have a big problem with this? Who's, gonna, who's the, the 6 a.m. crowd? Israel. And who's gonna get brought in just a few weeks from now after the resurrection and then Pentecost, who's gonna get brought into this deal? A bunch of Gentiles, the five o'clock crew. And the, the ace of Israel, like, are you kidding me? They've been eating barbecue and fried shrimp and skipping Saturday morning service for this long. And now they get to be part of this deal and they get the same thing that I get. And I've been here this whole time doing the whole, you know, read my Bible and pray and wear my yarmulke and follow the law. And they get to come in here after all of that. And God's saying, yeah, you got a problem with that? I give my grace to who I want to give my grace to. You got a problem with that? And the reality is they did. And so do some of us. And we wouldn't say that, but we do, right? We, we do. I mean, I, we see it. We see a guy who's wrecked his life and he's been this and that and the other. And maybe he's in prison and he's in there. And we're like, well, you know, we hear that he became a Christian, but I don't really know. And, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see about that guy because he hadn't been here. He's a wreck, right? That's the five o'clock guy. Do you have a problem with... The, the thief on the cross? I kind of do sometimes. I mean, we love that story. Oh, isn't it great? You know, deathbed confession. Think about this guy. He was an insurrectionist, a murderer, a terrorist in essence. That's what he was, a terrorist. He wasn't just a thief. He got busted at stealing from the Walmart, okay? We always say thief on the cross. No, he was a murderer, terrorist kind of person. And he is getting his due punishment on the cross. But if you remember how it goes, there's two of them, one on Jesus' right, one on the left. And early in the morning, they are both mocking Jesus with everybody else. They're mocking, he, he's looking over on his deathbed at the son of God and he is mocking him and mocking him. And somewhere around 147, when they're about an hour away from busting his legs and killing him, he says, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He never even read his Bible. He never showed up at church. The only prayer he ever gave was Jesus, remember me. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, I don't know, buddy. A little late for that. He says, you will be with me today in paradise. Now, do you have a problem with the fact that you, maybe you were, got saved at 11 and maybe now you're 75 and you did mission trips and you've given your whole life in Bible study and memorization. Do you have a problem that that guy gets the same denarius that you get? Is that fair? You shouldn't. That's what Jesus is saying. Because no one has a right to denarius more than anyone else. Because you are just as undeserving as him. And God says, I will give my grace to who I will give my grace to. I will lavish it on who I will lavish it on. And our response, the response to the lastness is like, I'm just glad I'm here. Praise God. I don't deserve to be here. Because here's the secret. The last are first because they know they're last. That's why. And the first are last because they think they ought to be first. Right? That's the heart here. And you say, well, I, you know, I can celebrate with the thief on the cross. Here's where I see it a little bit more subtly in our context. 
Maybe not us, because you guys are spiritual, but in other churches that are like us. And so you have new people come to church all the time, praise God. Last week we had 40 or 50 folks at the start here, and hopefully uh, most of those folks will come and, and run alongside us and join in a membership. But it's really easy to be like, hey, how are you? How long have you been here? Oh, we're just brand new members. How about you? Well, you know, I've been here for 12 years. I remember the good old days in the old room when we had no air conditioning. In fact, you know, most of that building I painted and, you know, I, that chair you're sitting in, I, I donated money to that. Yeah, I know, I know, praise God, right? You know, but, but we're so glad you're at our church. I, I hope you'll find it as great as it's been for the last 12 years that I've been here at. And there's this sense where I've been here longer. I'm a 9 a.m. crowd, so you do your time and maybe one day you'll get to the, the level of me, right? We're gonna say it but we'll do it. Or in your community group, new family comes in, they wanna get connected, they need friends, they need community. Well, you know, we've been meeting in this community group for three years. We've been through a lot together, a lot. Remember all that stuff we went through? Yeah, wow. I'm glad you're here. We'll see how you, see how it runs the course, right? Or even more subtle is when there's a, a majority culture and a minority culture in the church, when someone who's not like you, and that could be race, it could be age, it could be economic, it could be all sorts of things, political, but there's, there's a majority culture and there's a minority culture, and we're glad when people are like, oh, you, you come to our church, oh, I'm glad, we're so glad you're here at our church. And if you wanna, we, we're glad, but if you're gonna be part of our church, you kind of need to be like us. We don't say it. And what we are is we're the 9 a.m., the 6 a.m. crowd thinking, we're a little bit better and you need to be like us, rather than saying, this is the body, and it doesn't matter if you showed up at five or at 6 a.m., you get the same denarius. And you were here by God's grace, period, end of story, have a nice day. And the attitude of lastness says, he's great, not me. He's sovereign, not me, right? And when you have that view of the master, you will be wonderfully unimpressed with yourself, which is a great thing to be, wonderfully unimpressed. And there's one more question real quick, verse 15. I can do what I want with my stuff, right? Do you begrudge my generosity? Yes, I do. I'm mad because you're so generous to other people, right? And the attitude that'll get you last is an attitude of envy, right? Envy. Well, I was happy with my iPhone X before I saw your iPhone XYZ. I was happy with my, you know, heated seats until I saw your heated seats with a car that drives itself and now I need that to be happy. And this attitude of, I deserve, I want, I want what's fair. This is, this is lastness. And we live in a culture that thinks if I just get what they have, what I deserve, what is fair, then I would be happy. And it's a theological error ultimately because it says that our contentment and that the sin is their fault because if I had what they had, but really it's a heart issue. It's a, I see that, I want that. That's why social media can be so damaging because it's, it's a, I see how great their vacation is and how much weight they've lost and how pretty their meals are and how great their job is and all their opportunities. And all I hear about is her every day waking up. Oh, I'm so thankful for my children. They're saying their prayers and doing their chores. I wake up to that every day. No one wants to hear about that. Great, your kids are great. My kids are fighting at 6.30 a.m., right? I don't care. They're fighting over the last bowl of Captain Crunch. Your kids are saying the Lord's Prayer. Great, we don't care. And it causes us to say, I want what they have. I wish my life would be great if I had their kids, their spouse, their degree, right? And, if, and the idea is this. 
If God is the one who gives and if it's his fruit, then he can give to to whoever, whatever he wants because it isn't mine in the first place. Heard one preacher this week say, no one can give you what God has not given you. No one can keep from you what God has for you. That's contentment. And so the true test of this ultimately is, can you rejoice in the blessings of God? We would say, yes, I'm not finished that sentence, when it wasn't given to you. When your kid is going out for that position and their kid's going out for that position and your kid doesn't get that position, can you rejoice? No. I know, it's difficult, isn't it? When you wanted that raise, that job, you put the bid on that house and that person got it instead of you. Can you rejoice in that? Because it's a big vineyard and God can bless over here and bless as, he blesses as he wants. Peter, you're gonna die this way. John, he's gonna die on an island. Follow me. Can you, can you rejoice in that, right? Can you, that's where it starts. And this is why I told you before, it, it all starts, the key is God who is sovereign, God who is gracious, God who is generous. Why? Because the apostle Paul picks up on this and says, what do you have that wasn't given to you? The answer, nothing. So if God gave this to you, then that means he wants you to have this and it's good. And we can say, thank you, God, right? Thank you for what you've given me. That's, that's the, the attitude of lastness that we wanna see. That's what we need, because it's good to be last. It's good to be last. I, uh, I've seen those videos every once in a while in my limited time on social media where, where uh, there's somebody who's colorblind, you know, and then their family buys them those like glasses that they can see color for the first time. You've seen these, right? They're awesome. Makes me cry every time. I'm crying with the families. They're all crying. Because you get the person who sees black and white all their life or gray or shades of gray. And they put these, these glasses on them and they always have like balloons and flowers. And for the first time they see color and they always just start weeping. And the family, and I'm weeping and everyone's weeping. Why? Because it's the first time they see things the way they are. And some of us right now, you see in black and white, you see in fairness, what I deserve, what I want. You're wearing, gospel, you're wearing glasses of, of, of fairness and glasses of what I deserve and what I want. And what you need to put on is gospel grace glasses where you can actually see color for the first time. And then you'll get your eyes off yourself and what you deserve and think, oh my grace, what have I been given? What, what, have, what have I been given by God? I am a child of God here based on his grace, what he has done. And he's given me a Daenerys. I I have eternity. I I get to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. And it's not because of anything I've done, not the shoveling, not the building, fully because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. And I can say, praise God, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what we need, CBC. That's how we can be first by being last, by recognizing I'm last because I am. But God is good to me. That's what we wanna be. Let's pray and respond. Just thinking, Father, I thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I know that a lot of us, life hasn't been fair right now. It's hard. And, and, and this passage does not take away from that reality but we know this, you have not abandoned us, that you love us, that you walk with us in the valley of the shadow of death, that you will never abandon your people and that you cause all things to work good for those who love you. 
We know that. And we know you keep your promise. And so wherever we're at, let us pursue lastness, humility. You are opposed to the proud. You give grace to the humble. Who is it that, that blessed are the poor in spirit? Let that be the tenor of our church so that we will one day hear well done, good and faithful servant. You will reward, you will you'll evaluate and reward and let us be found faithful, not trying to be first, but to be last. Uh, pray you would do this in our hearts wherever we're at. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.